Good morning. Would you join me in prayer, please? Father, we think about that first Easter morning and how even though Jesus said on the third day he would rise, what happened that morning was still so unexpected. And as the disciples left the tomb, your word tells us they left with fear and great joy. Fear and great joy, what a combination. Not understanding fully all that happened that morning, all that it means for us. And so, Father, as we look into your word right now, I pray that you would help us to see more of what that first Easter morning means for us in this day, in in the life you have called us to live. And Father, I pray we would respond to the truths of your word with hearts that are eager to follow, to serve, to live out the life of Christ who lives in us. We ask it in his name. Amen. I saw a cartoon in a Christian magazine a long time ago showed a man kind of confronting a pastor on Easter Sunday morning saying, Preacher, you're stuck. Uh, Every time I come here, you're preaching about the resurrection. I'd say even if the preacher was stuck, the resurrection is a great thing to be stuck on. The Apostle Paul was stuck on the resurrection you think about Paul speaking to the intellectuals at Athens, at the Areopagus. He did really well in that speech in Acts chapter 17 until he got to the resurrection. And then that was just too much for some of them. Paul was stuck on the resurrection. Think about the early disciples who couldn't stop talking about the resurrection. They were stuck on it. They talked about it everywhere they went. If only they'd stop talking about it, life would be so much easier for them. They couldn't stop talking about it. They were stuck on it. And sometimes it got them laughed at, and sometimes it got them thrown into jail. But they just couldn't stop talking about it because the resurrection is absolutely central to the Christian life. Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Verses 3 and 4. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. First importance. Without the resurrection, Paul says, our life is in vain. Our faith is in vain. We are to be pitied more than anybody else on this planet. Resurrection is absolutely central. It's of first importance. You have heard on other Easter Sunday mornings about how the Christian faith stands or falls on the resurrection. Disprove the resurrection and Christianity falls like a house of cards. You've heard on other Easter Sunday mornings 
how we can know the resurrection is true. The empty tomb that can't be explained away. The transformation of Jesus' followers from a frightened bunch of fugitives to a bold band of witnesses. The start of the church, the global enterprise. All of that stems from the resurrection. You've heard about that on other Easter Sundays. On this Easter Sunday, what we want to talk about is why the resurrection is of first importance. Why it's even necessary. I did a study of the passages of the New Testament that use the term resurrection or raised. I wanted to see if I could find some common themes between those passages to show why the resurrection is of first importance. I wanted uh, to see if, if we could find that central theme and see its relevance for life in 2022. What I found was three main ideas. I'd like to unpack them for you this morning. The first is this. Jesus was raised to give us proof. He was raised to give us proof. His victory in the physical realm shows his victory in the spiritual realm. He was raised to give us proof. When you think about it, Jesus claimed an awful lot of things. Let me mention just a few. Jesus claimed to be the Son of God. It's a big claim. He claimed to be the one everyone was waiting for, the long-awaited Messiah of Israel. He claimed to be able to forgive sins. He claimed to be the only way to the Father. Jesus said he came to give his life as a ransom for many. He said that his death would substitute for ours. Those are all huge claims. How can we know they're true? How can we know if any of them worked? The answer is resurrection. Romans chapter 1 verse 4 says, Jesus was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. His resurrection verifies who he said he was and who he is. It proves that all that he claimed is really true. He is who he said he is. Now, how do you prove that you have accomplished something in the physical realm, or I'm sorry, in the spiritual realm, when it can't be demonstrated in ways that people can see. You can't see it. If, for instance, I said, I am capable of forgiving your sins, and I, I am forgiving you all of your sins. If I said that, how in the world could I prove that? Can't see it. How do you know what happened? You prove it by demonstrating it in the physical realm. You can prove spiritual reality through a physical demonstration. Think about the time Jesus did it in Mark chapter 2 with a paralytic. Remember the story. Jesus 
and his disciples were in Capernaum. And some men brought a paralyzed friend to him. The place that Jesus was speaking was crowded. They couldn't get their way in. And so they dug through the roof and lowered their friend on a pallet. Remember the scene? What did Jesus say to the paralyzed man on the pallet at that point? Did he say, get up and walk? No, he didn't. He said, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, why would he say that? Well, think about the rest of the story. The Pharisees were really upset that he would say, your sins are forgiven, because they said, only God can forgive sins, and you're not God. So Jesus said, well, which is easier? To say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? For the Pharisees, they're thinking, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven because nobody can prove whether it's true or not, right? So if they said, get up and walk, and the guy didn't get up and walk, they would be shown not to have any authority at all. But they could probably get away with saying something like, your sins are forgiven because no one would know. Can't see it. No way of checking. For Jesus, it was much harder to say your sins are forgiven because it would cost him his life to forgive us our sins. But to demonstrate that he did have authority to forgive sins, he did the thing that was for him much easier. He said, get up and walk. And the man got up and walked. So what did Jesus do? He showed through something physical that he had spiritual authority. That healing demonstrated that Jesus really had forgiven the man his sins. The physical healing demonstrated a spiritual reality. And the resurrection of Jesus shows us that everything else he claimed in the spiritual realm is also true. The Gospels give several places where Jesus predicted his passion, those final events of his earthly ministry. And in all of them, he says, and on the third day, he will rise. That would be the definitive proof of his having accomplished everything else that he said he would. If he didn't rise, then all he claimed wasn't true. But his resurrection demonstrates the truth of his claims. He was raised to give us proof. So back to Romans 1.4, Jesus was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus was raised to give us proof. Secondly, Jesus was raised to give us life. He comes into our physical life to give us spiritual life. He was raised to give us life. Now, you may be thinking, no thanks, I've already got life. I'm doing just fine, thanks. But if you haven't got Christ, you haven't got life. 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 and 12 says this, And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. 
If you don't have Christ, you don't have life. And if Christ wasn't raised from the dead, then he doesn't have any life to give you. You're probably thinking you were born alive. I'm guessing you probably think that, but the Bible says, actually, we were all born dead. Physically alive, spiritually dead. Think back to the Garden of Eden. What did God tell Adam and Eve about that forbidden fruit? On the day that you will eat it, what will happen? You will surely die. They ate it. They didn't physically keel over, right? What happened? They died spiritually that day. And all their offspring ever since have been born spiritually dead. We were born dead in our transgressions and sins. Paul says in Ephesians 2 verse 1, you were dead in the, trans, in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. So let me ask you, what can a dead person do for himself? You ever been to a funeral and have the dead person thank you for coming? You ever see him get up out of the casket and say, well, that's enough of that? Well, the fact is a dead person can do nothing for himself. And so when Paul tells us you were dead in your transgressions and sins, what he's saying is there's nothing you could do about it. One of the reasons Jesus was raised then from the dead is to give us life. When a person comes to faith in Christ, something happens inside. Jesus takes that old dead spiritual self that can do nothing for itself and he gives us life. And he comes and lives in us. We're dead by ourselves. He gives us life. And we do something to give a picture of that. It's called baptism. Romans chapter 6 that was read earlier talks about baptism and it says that in baptism, our old self, our old identity is buried and we begin a new life in Christ. Romans chapter 6, 1 to 4 says this, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Baptism is about death and burial and resurrection. In baptism, we recognize that this old dead self of ours needs to be buried. And so we go down into the water as though we were going down into our grave. And we come up out of the water demonstrating that we have discovered new life in Christ. We've been given new life in him. Because Jesus rose from the dead, he has life to give us. And by faith, we receive that life. When we put our trust in him, we move from being spiritually dead to spiritually alive. Have you done that? 
Have you done that? Back to 1 John 5. This is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. What that means for us is that for those of us who are in Christ, we need to recognize we are no longer who we were before. We're new creations in Christ. We have life in him, and there's no going back. Like a a butterfly has no interest, uh, no desire, no capability to going back to being a caterpillar. And when we're tempted to go back to behaviors that described us before Christ, we need to say, that's not who I am anymore. I have the life of Christ in me. Jesus was raised to give us life. Raised to give us proof, raised to give us life. Third, Jesus was raised to give us hope. We are spiritually raised with him now, and we will be physically raised with him later. And this one's even more amazing. We follow him in resurrection, first spiritually, then physically. So we are spiritually raised with him when we come to faith in Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Not only are we not who we were before, But in Christ, we have a new perspective. We are seated with Christ in heavenly realms, verse 6 tells us. That's a beautiful picture. Seated with Christ in heavenly realms. We need to see everything in our lives from that vantage point. Relationships, resources, purpose, all of that seen from a heavenly perspective. I was in a Christian bookstore and, and saw a greeting card once, and on the cover it, it said, it said, keep looking down. Well, I had to open the card, right? You know, when it says that, keep looking down, it's not what you would expect. And inside the card it said, from heavenly places. Keep looking down from heavenly places where we are seated with Christ. So whatever you're going through, relational difficulty, job tension, unemployment, school temptation, financial problems. You are raised with Christ and seated with him in heavenly places. That changes our perspective on everything. Picture yourself seated in heavenly places. 
Picture yourself there looking down on your present situation. Got it? Can you see your situation from where you are in heavenly places? Looks smaller now, doesn't it, from that place? And now look to who is sitting next to you there. It's Jesus. We are seated with Christ in heavenly places. What anxieties do you have there? What can harm you there? You've been spiritually raised with Christ. We need to learn to see things from that perspective. It'll give you hope when everyone around you is in despair. But not only are we presently seated with Christ in heavenly places, spiritually raised to be with him, one day we will be physically raised in a body like his glorious resurrected body. And that really gives us hope. Because when things don't improve, when things go from bad to worse, we have something waiting for us at the end of this life that's absolutely fantastic. The Apostle Paul knew what it was to endure hard circumstances. He knew what it was to have things go from bad to worse. And his conclusion was, if this life is all we've got, we're pitiful. So how did he keep on going? He could keep on going because he knew this life wasn't all we've got. This life isn't all there is. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting at verse 17. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, if this is all there is, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. First fruits. Beautiful concept. It means the first of many to come. It's the, the first in gatherings of a whole harvest. There is an entire harvest yet to come. The first fruits is just the start. We might say the, the prototype. When General Motors wants to roll a new car off the assembly lines, what it will do, first of all, is it will come up with a concept car, and that will be a scale model in clay. But the prototype is different from that. It's got all the working parts. Everything is as it will be when the assembly is complete. And then from that prototype, the cars begin to roll off the assembly line. Christ is our prototype, the first fruits of the resurrection. And we will be like him. When he returns for his own, he will transform these lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious resurrected body. I am so looking forward to that. What that means now is that whatever we go through in life, on the day of his return, it will be worth it. That will put everything we endure now into perspective. 
Last January, we were in 2 Timothy chapter 2, and in one message, I was talking about um, what Paul endured for the sake of the gospel. You may remember that I mentioned the voyage of a ship called the Endurance, where Sir Ernest Shackleton and 27 men set out to sail to and then actually cross the Antarctic Peninsula, or, uh, continent, but were caught in an ice flow and had to watch helplessly as the ice crushed and sank their ship. I mentioned how they survived a year and a half living on ice flows, eating seals and penguins, and together they drifted and ultimately reached Elephant Island, which was uninhabited, and they set up camp there. What I didn't tell you in January was what happened next. They knew it would do no good to remain on Elephant Island. As I said, it was uninhabited. Nobody knew they were there. They had no means of communication. Nobody would come looking for them there. They had one last chance to get home. It would involve Shackleton and two other men taking a small boat that had been aboard the Endurance and against great odds trying to reach South Georgia Island some 800 miles away across the open sea. They would have to reach South Georgia Island and then get help to come back for the rest of the crew. This is a, a shot of the crew waving goodbye to Shackleton and the other two men as they left Elephant Island. The lives of these men depended on Shackleton navigating that treacherous body of water, 800 miles of it, and coming back for them. If Shackleton couldn't navigate that stretch of open sea and return for them, they were doomed. And that's a picture of our condition apart from the resurrection of Christ. If our captain couldn't navigate the sea of death and come back victorious, we would be doomed. But when what we celebrate on Easter morning is that Christ did come back. He conquered death. He came back from the dead. And in his resurrection, we have hope beyond death ourselves. Jesus' return from death gives us the hope of being raised like him. He's the first fruits of the resurrection. Jesus lives, and so shall I. Jesus was raised to give proof to the skeptic. He was raised to give life to the spiritually dead. He was raised to give hope to the believer. Had he not been raised, we wouldn't be able to have any of those things. He wouldn't have those things to give us. But because he was raised from the dead, we have them all because we have him. The bottom line for all I have to say to you this morning is that Jesus was raised to give us himself, a living Savior. And it's only in a relationship with 
a risen Savior that we can find life and hope. And while his death could have paid for our sins, if he hadn't been raised from the dead, he would have no life to give us. And we'd still be spiritually dead. Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The resurrection is absolutely pivotal to the Christian message. Do you believe it? Jesus was raised to give proof to the skeptic, to give life to the person who's spiritually dead, to give hope to the one who chooses to follow him. Have you chosen to follow him? Have you put your trust in him? Have you found life in him? If you haven't, I would ask you what it is you're hoping for, what it is you're counting on to get you to heaven. There was a TV series in the 1960s called The Alfred Hitchcock Hour. I used to watch it when I could. It had an episode about a man who was trying to figure out how to break out of prison. He finally struck a deal with the prison undertaker, the man who would bury the prisoners who had been executed or who died in prison of natural causes. He would take care of the body and put it in a casket, and then he would ring a bell to let the rest of the people in the prison know that someone had died and so in exchange for a payoff, the undertaker told this man who wanted to figure out how to get out of prison, the undertaker told him when the bell tolls for the next dead prisoner in the middle of the night, you come in the darkness, find your way to the morgue, feel your way to the casket, lift the lid and climb in the casket with the dead person, close the lid and you will feel uh, some people lifting the casket off the table, putting it on a cart, wheeling it through the gates of the prison out to the cemetery. You'll feel yourself being lowered into the grave You'll hear dirt being thrown onto the casket. But I will come for you, and I will dig you up, and you'll be free. That was their deal. So, one night the bell tolled, signaling that a prisoner had died and been placed into a casket. And so this man stole away in the darkness, found his way to the morgue, felt his way to the casket, climbed in, with the dead body, felt people lifting the casket, rolling it away, felt it being lowered into the ground, heard the dirt being piled on it, and soon there was no sound at all. The plan had worked, and now all there was to do was to wait for the undertaker to come for him. But the wait got longer and longer, and he wondered what time it was getting to be. And so he maneuvered to pull a match out of his pocket and he struck the match to see his watch. And in the flicker of the flame, 
he saw the face of the man who was next to him in the casket, who was the undertaker. He had pinned his hopes on someone who couldn't save him. So where are you pinning your hopes? This is why the resurrection is absolutely of first importance. It demonstrates the victory that Christ won over sin and death. It allows us to live as new creations in Christ. It gives us perspective over the things that are happening in our lives and let us know that a resurrection is in store for us one day. One that makes whatever we go through now worth it. I want to give us all an opportunity to respond this morning to the call of God to recognize that Jesus died to give you proof, to give you life, to give you hope. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, I thank you for the resurrection of the Lord Jesus that demonstrates that he is all he said he was, that gives life to people unable to do anything to save themselves and gives us hope beyond this life of a glorious resurrection with a body like his. And so, Father, I... Just pray if there's anybody here this morning that hasn't put their trust in the Lord Jesus, that that person would do that right now. And just say, Lord Jesus, I recognize that I am spiritually dead apart from you. There is nothing I can do. But by your grace, you offer to give me life, and I want that. Would you give me life? Thank you that you paid the penalty for my sin that in your righteousness I can stand before a holy God. And so, Father, I just pray that you would give that person the courage to say, Lord Jesus, I want that gift of life from you. Come into my life. Live your life through me. And I will look forward to praising you and thanking you forever. So, Father, I pray that as we go through this Easter day, that it would be with the assurance of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, the first fruits of those who sleep, with a, a hope in him based on the trust that we have in what he has done for us. And so, Lord, I pray that you would be glorified in our lives as we live them by the life of Jesus living through us. In his name we pray. Amen.